We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start. Start winning. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And this... This is, it's a raw day, Chris. It's a raw day here in the Rockpile Report Studios. I'm going to need you to do me a favor. Fish me two more beers out of there. Not just one. I need two. Dose. <sighs> you you rewatched the game, Chris. I watched the condensed. I wish I hadn't watched the first half. <laughs> that was... <laughs> There's a lot of things I wish. There's a lot of things that I wish. I like you get to just watch it live. Like I kind of get updates throughout the end of the day at work, and then you know we play like that in the first half. But I have to go back and watch in case you ask me any question about that game. I know what you're talking about. It was a horrible rewatch. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't. Nope. Couldn't do it this time. And you know what's wor- you know what the worst part about this is, Chris? In the in the course of doing this podcast over the years, I've developed kind of a system as far as how I go about doing these things. And it pretty much a lot of it revolves around going back and rewatching these games. Do you know how frustrating it is to approach these and be have to say to myself, I don't know if I can do this. Like sit down this morning and go, 
I don't know if I can turn this on. Like, I just don't know. It's a tough watch. It was might have been the worst first half we played all year. Our week 15 recap, the Buccaneers 33 and the Buffalo Bills 27. Your stats of the game. Your week 15 recap, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 33, your Buffalo Bills 27. Stats of the game. Tom Brady 31 of 46 for 363 and two touchdowns, no interceptions, two sacks, 105 quarterback rating. Josh Allen 36 of 54, 308 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, three sacks, and 86 rating. Rushing for the Buffalo Bills. Devin Singletary with 52 yards. Matt Breda with 12 yards on three carries. Josh Allen, 109 yards and a touchdown. Leonard Fournette's 47-yard touchdown run. The fourth run of 40 or more yards the Bills have allowed in 2021. First down by penalty. Tampa Bay, four. Buffalo Bills, one. Tampa Bay, just 24 penalty yards to Buffalo, 65. Buffalo on third down, 0 for 5 in the first half, 2 for 8 in the second half. Tampa Bay was 8 of 16, good for 50%. The Bills threw 11 times on third down for the second straight week. Red zone efficiency, 0 for 2 in the first half for the Buffalo Bills, 3 for 4 in the second half. The Bills are now 0 and 5 in one-score games in the 2021 season. All right. <laughs> so that's it. They, they, Chris, I'm pretty sure those numbers alone tell you a lot about the story of this game, doesn't it? Yeah, I saw uh, Kevin Masseri tweet out that uh, the officiating crew for the Bills game on Sunday, mm-hmm. second most P.I. calls for officiating crew, but didn't feel the need to throw any of them, any of them on Tampa Bay. <laughs> no calls in the secondary on Tampa Bay. On Sunday, by the the crew that calls the second most PI calls. Well, it's funny. I'm looking right now at a, a Twitter handle called it's at T E. It's T Estelle number three. Guy just says, "I swore I was over it until I saw this." Chris, I'm going to turn my laptop so you can see it. It's a picture of the pass interference in the end zone on Stephon Diggs, where one, two, three, four different referees. Now, one of the basic, biggest excuses that's gotten thrown around here about the officiating is that, well, you know, from an angle, it's hard for some refs to see where the pulling and the grabbing. Chris, in a crudely drawn MS Paint, I'm going to retweet yeah. it for those of you who want to see it, at Rockpile Report. There are four officials with a clean line of sight with zero obstruction in front of them to see that play. None of them saw it? Not, not a one? Yeah, it's clearly a P.I. call. (laughs) Oh, God. Listen, first of all, the game day recap. 4 p.m. football sucks, and I'm glad it's over. And I hope they they stop doing this to us, because we're not good at it, Chris. When's the last time the Bills won a 4 p.m. game that you can recall off the top of your head? Uh, Dallas Thanksgiving. Okay, so take Thanksgiving out of the equation beyond that. On a Sunday, 4 p.m. on Sunday when everybody else is playing. We don't we don't usually get them. Unless we're at an NFC West And how team. is that typically gone? The Nathan Peterman game was a 4 p.m. game. The, uh, <laughs> the Hale-Murray was a 4 p.m. game. 
I, I think we should all vote to th- uh, just just throw these into the Marianas Trench. Forget they ever exist. I mean, it's 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 too early to be a true primetime game, and too late to sit down and enjoy the other one p.m. games. If you're me, I mean, I went to I at one o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody, uh, the games are all kicking off, and I went to the gym because I knew that if I sat down, I was started watching football with the Sunday ticket going. My wife even said, "This is why you have the Sunday ticket." I thought, and I had to explain to her that if I sit down and I start opening beers, where I'm going to want a beer. I'm going to want a beer if I'm sitting down surrounded by football, and if I start drinking now. By the t- although in retrospect, I was like, oh, I'll be in rough shape by the time the Bills game starts. Although in retrospect, Chris, <laughs> I have a hard time. Maybe I should have. I have a hard time with that too. With with hockey's on, I can't just sit there and watch the game. Like, you know, give me an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a beer. I need something. something. You got to put something in my hand. I can't just sit here. What, what what are we all just sitting around here trying a famous Dave Kateris line for anybody out there who knows Dave Kateris a line that I now I've stolen and I've kind of thrown it around a bit you walk into a room and you see everybody sitting there it's like what are we all doing sitting around here trying to get sober what is this <laughs> what, what are we all doing here I, I subscribe to that line of thinking when I'm surrounded by sports. I feel like I have to have a beverage and the problem is once I start Chris you've seen me stress drink the best. We casually drink, right? We go out to dinner. I come over to your girlfriend's house. We go out. I can. I am fully capable of sitting down and just nursing a cocktail or having a nice beer and just sipping away at it and making an evening, a nice pleasant evening out of it. Yeah. Well, you put a sporting event on TV that I have any skin in the game about. There's an 18 pack that's. It's just going to disappear. We're lucky that we had half the division on a bye because if the the Patriots were playing at one o'clock on Sunday, you would have hate watched the Patriots and hate drink during that if they were winning. Oh, for sure. And it was the group that we had over for the game. It was a small crowd, laid back kind of thing. And first of all, Wise Guys Pizza, Chris. Listen. I got a bucket of wings. Okay, sheet in a bucket, pretty standard for Sunday football. Have you ever in your lifetime received a bucket of chicken wings that was 95% drums without asking for it? No, that sounds like heaven. Didn't ask for it, didn't say a word, just showed up and got a whole box of drums. It, It almost as if life knew what was coming and was like, this guy's going to need this around 8 o'clock. <laughs> On 8 o'clock tonight, this guy's going to need a whole bucket of wings to fall face down into. <laughs> Just a preemptive attaboy. The game starts. It, it all goes to hell. Mark and I tried everything. I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to channel Bruce Nolan on this because I'm starting to believe that my superstitions, you know, the boxers, you know, I wear the same boxers. I wash them, but I wear the same boxers for every game. I have like, well, if I wore this shirt during this game, I, I can't wear it again because they lost. Uh, I got to find a different Bill shirt to wear. Somebody run to the 7-Eleven? Mark and I, we drank Bud Ice Tall Boys. We ate a whole bag of black licorice chews. Now, anise is disgusting, and anybody who says it otherwise, I, I'll, again, we talk about burying things in the Marianas Trench and forgetting they ever existed. Anise can go there, and so can you. You're, you're disgusting. We just did everything we could to, to get the bad juju, like to try to change the momentum of this, and it just didn't work. Superstition, I think, Chris, I'm starting to genuinely believe it doesn't matter. Hey, I believe in superstitions. 
Well, Mark left at halftime. He was so demoralized. And I don't blame him. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, a game like Sunday's would have had me in the same headspace as Christopher Walken in the Deer Hunter. That's what you needed on Sunday for the second half, the way the Bills played it. What, Russian Mar- roulette? No, Mark left. That's why. <laughs> I would have been in the bathtub, empty, shirtless in the bathtub, drinking Steel Reserve in the dark, just tapping into my inner nihilist, just contemplating whether life has any actual meaning, or whether we're just here to suffer and then die, because ultimately nothing has any lasting meaning, and everything that we know and think matters will inevitably cease to exist and be forgotten by a universe as if it never did. I I don't know. We're too fist in for this show. The Bills came out at halftime, and Josh Allen proved to everybody on a national stage that even with some absurd officiating, even with this roster being made up of the Keystone Cops, even his coach being a conservative mess, just how fucking badly he wants to win and how far he's willing to go to get a taste of victory. Remember what I said after the Tennessee game about him getting that contract? And I had to explain this to my wife the other night as I sit here with two beers in my hand like an idiot. I had to explain the concept that there's been a lot of NFL football players, you know, uh, the Albert Hainsworth of the world, the... Um, that might be one of the worst contracts ever. It might be the worst. But there's a number of guys. We know these stories. Player X plays really well, plays really aggressively, gets paid, and then stops. Right? They just stop because they did that. Marcel Darius is a good one. That one hits close to home. He accomplished what he set out to do. He got paid. And then they say, okay, I got mine. That's what fuels me. That's what drives me. And I'm done. Or at least, or at least I'm going to do the thing until it's not in my best interest to do the thing anymore. Josh Yellen is the other side of that coin where the money just gave him carte blanche to be the most reckless human being on earth. Because now he knows he can afford a diamond-plated wheelchair like Barry Boswick in uh, FDR, American Badass. Which, by the way, if you're ever looking for a really crappy, really crappy B-movie that has a oddly good cast, yeah. FDR, American Badass, Google it. I get drunk and watch it once a year. Usually after a Bills game like this. <laughs> but that's what Josh Allen is for us, right? And this game spotlighted that. That he's willing to do anything to win a football game. It's how far he's willing to go to get a taste of that. And in the aftermath, you know, Jeff, uh, Mike Parsom, who had a hilarious moment where I was bitching about how, you know, at halftime, I'm like, don't this team, this team better not dare come back and win this because I can't forget this first half. And everyone's going to give him a pass for it and they don't deserve it. And Partham looks at me and goes, you mean to tell me you're just, this is what I love about the, the guy. He's just deadpan a little bit. He goes, you mean to tell me you're going to complain if the Bills get a W today? And I had to just sit there. Well, Jeff laughs at me. I have to stand there like an idiot and just suck on a beer and collect my thoughts because it, cause Chris, I'm losing my composure. <laughs> you would complain if we went, if we went 17 and 0. You would be you would complain about. I'm it. sure I'd still have something to complain about. No, you definitely would. There, you will always find something to complain about. It's in your DNA. <laughs> but so as we're sitting here in the aftermath of this close loss, just discussing the state of things and agonizing over the outcome because this isn't hockey. There's no overtime losses. Don't matter. You don't get points. Seven and six is our fate. We're one game removed from being a 500 football team. I finally went upstairs. Second night to my kid, 
you know, told my wife I have no interest in watching Sunday Night Football. I wasn't even mad. That was a great game, though, on uh, Sunday night. I I wish I knew. I I wasn't even mad. I wasn't upset. I was just tired, mentally and emotionally exhausted by this football team for the second week in a row. And it was with that in mind that I, I go out to the kitchen, I grab a slice of pizza, I sat down on the couch, complete sitting completely upright, wise guys in hand, fell asleep as my wife was in the middle of asking me a question about Double Shot of Love, which is what she was watching. Is that a, is that a Brett Michaels VH1 show? I don't know. I think it is the guys from Jersey Shore on it. That the, the 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 one Italian kid who like dances at Chippendales but somehow doesn't have any game is trying to have a game show to find women. I don't know. You really narrowed it down. The Italian from New Jersey. <laughs> Crazy my head is money. Do you know the things I would do? No. I wouldn't be looking for love. No, you know what I'd be looking you, for? You didn't narrow henchmen. it down. I don't know who you're talking about. Oh God. But that's the best outcome I could have I guess expected for myself in the aftermath of that fucking game. <sighs> to dig into the actual game action, the actual game recap, and I, I, I allow, I thank you guys for allowing me to get this all off my chest because I feel like I have to paint a picture for you to just like, look, I'm not some, I'm not in a manic state. I wasn't screaming. There was no Chris. My wicker furniture count is at zero this year, and I think part of that is because of the games where it was probably most warranted. Jeff was in the room, and Jeff is like, Jeff is like. Even when things are going terribly. I mean, I've played softball with him now. He's like the top of a lake. <laughs> He's like a duck on top of the water. Mm-hmm. You'd never know. He could be freaking out. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't see it. He's calm. He looks cool, collected. And for some reason, that speaks to me. He's like, uh, did you watch the, the, uh, the big, the big 12 championship when, uh, Baylor stopped yes. Oklahoma State and Dave Aranda just did nothing? Yep. That's, that's it. That's him. That's him. Ugh. It's the best thing we could have had. Uh, best outcome I could have hoped for was just passing out on the couch, head thrown back, snoring. My wife left me there. <laughs> she just left me there. I woke up next to a lit Christmas tree at two o'clock in the morning with a piece of pizza in my lap. <laughs> hey, at least you weren't naked on the couch with a roast beef sandwich on your chest. Yeah, that's sto- that's happened before. That's a story for another day. But if we're going to recap the game action, we got to start with the elephant in the room. NFL officiating is officially it's just a joke, right? Okay? Cuz and that's one of the biggest storylines to come out of this if we're just talking philosophy. I mean, like I said, I refuse to go back and rewatch it today, so I could try to explain to you the X's and O's of what the Bills did differently, but there's smarter people out there, right? Mm-hmm. People with far more composure than you and I, uh, the Bruce Nolans, the, 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 well, I don't even know. I don't, I don't want to say Aaron Quinn because Aaron Quinn, I mean, he's, I feel like that show is like Anthony Prohaska is the film guy. Greg is the face. If they were an A team, He'd be a mix between Hannibal and Mr. T, if only because the only thing he like he'll throw in like a one liner and then he's got some crazy ideas. Like that <laughs> Alright. Maybe I'm taking too much away from Aaron. Aaron's he's a smart guy too, but there's smarter people out there who can break down the X's nose. Here's what I know. You can't tell the story of this game without bringing up NFL officiating. We've been complaining about it all season, as have most fan bases. 
pundits have written articles all season long about how bad the officiating is. Sunday was not only no different, but it was one of the most glaring cases of the NFL's haves and have-nots. And the Buffalo Bills have not. The Buccaneers' defense was to a man simply allowed to play a different type of football than we were. There was a different... I don't even know what you want to call it. It, it, it's, It's like a different philosophy that they were allowed to play with simply because they wore a different jersey than ours. And the refs propped it up. I saw a couple of screen grabs from the game with the, uh, the there's like a tweet of uh, find somebody who holds you the way that Carlton <laughs> Davis holds Stefan Diggs, and it's all the shots of him just blatant holds. If you spend any time on Twitter or social media today or yesterday, you were you were inundated with it. You, you were inundated with video, photos, actual explanations from guys like Dean Blandino and from other like going back to last year's Bills Rams game where they broke down why what the cornerback did to Gabe Davis at the end of the Rams game warranted a flag, even though it didn't look like it, it warranted a flag. And then you take that logic and try to apply it to what happened yesterday, and you can't. It it just wasn't. We're talking about two different football. We might as well be talking about two different sports. If that's supposed to be the letter of the law, I don't know. I mean, Scott Novak and his crew just blatantly flaunted what the spirit of the rule was supposed to be in order to call the game the way they did. And I did, there's no answer for it. I mean, if there's a silver lining, it's that the world at large finally got to see, because this was on an elevated stage, that this is the bullshit that occurred. I mean, ESPN analysts, Fox Sports commentators, uh, Big Cat from Barstool, even Nelly, Chris, Nelly, you know, longest yard running back in the movie, uh, the creator of Hot in Here, which, incidentally, I once watched a father of the bride get hammered at his daughter's wedding and strip to his whitey tighties on the dance floor to that song. It's like... Like, I wonder how... Chris, it was to my delight, his family's just horror and embarrassment. How many lives has that song ruined? (laughs) Thousands. Child support alone. It's rampant. It's getting hot in here. Take off all your clothes. (laughs) Even Nelly took to Twitter to be like, hey, I I love Tom Brady, but that's some bullshit right there. If everybody can see it, how can this league continue to allow this? If it's in front, I mean, the emperor has no clothes. That's what this is. It's like everybody's like, <laughs> what, what? What is happening here? Yeah, well, we know Novak's crew is not going to be calling the Super Bowl. We know that's for but sure. But at this point, who will be? Bill Vinovich. Bill Vinovich, because he's the only one smart enough to just stick his we hands should, in his pockets and we, go, guys. I don't, we should do that. Play. We should do that right now. Seagrams on who's officiating on Seagram's on who's officiating the Super Bowl. Are you taking I'm, Bill? I'm going to take Bill Vinovich. I'll take the field. There you go, sir. Bang, that's a bet. I mean, here's the thing. It's egregious, and it's just another sign that the NFL, while not being a poverty league like the NHL, has no ability to marshal its game anymore. They've they've overcomplicated this thing, and they don't have full-time officials. They tried that, and then for some reason they didn't want to pay what it would cost, and there was a whole fracas about that, and then there was no officials, and then there were scabs doing the job, and now we're back to part-time... Officials, I, I, it's, I don't know what they're doing, but what they've done is they've created such a complex series of rules that every football game can be ruled differently from one game to the next, depending on who's involved. 
That's a problem, especially when you're talking about a group of guys whose actual livelihoods, actual job performance on the field doesn't matter because most of them are lawyers, teachers, you know, superintendents. They, these are guys who are wealthy men outside outside the scope of what they get paid to be NFL officials. So with that in mind, there's no incentive for them to focus on this and actually get the calls right, because if they're wrong, what's going to happen? What? Uh, how many times has a ref been suspended for being egregiously wrong? Wasn't Ed Hockley the only one? He's the only one in my lifetime that I can remember. Yeah, exactly. You're staring off into space. You got nothing. Neither do I. And while it's easy to sit here and talk about conspiracy theories, and I again, I, this is what I mean, Chris. This is where things come off the rails, though. Everyone wants to believe that the league is trying to prop up certain teams. You're right. The deference happens. You see it. And we've we've grown accustomed to saying things like this. But I believe in Occam's razor. I think these guys are in over their heads. I think they're poorly taught the nuances of the rules. The rules keep getting more complicated. And far too often, it's like everybody, you defer to the judgment of one. Chris, there was a play on Sunday where one guy on the sideline ruled it a catch, one ruled it incomplete, and then they had to have a giant meeting about what it's like, well, wait a minute. If you say it's complete and you say it isn't, what happened? Then they get together and they decide that, but but it took like a five-minute conversation to come to what was inevitably a completed catch. So then what did you see that you said it wasn't caught? Did you just assume the guy didn't step? Was there any video review? If they actually gave a damn about any of this, they would do something about it. But the fact is, I don't think they can. I think these guys are poorly taught. There's just too much. And far too often, they defer to the guy who didn't see the play. The head referee comes in, tries to tries to be the arbiter of what the rule book is supposed to be. But to your point, this is a crew that calls PI all the time, and they didn't call a single one in our favor yesterday. That's hilarious to me. What that tells you is that that guy, the final arbiter, the head referee, every game is different depending on who you get at that position at this point. That's why this whole Sky Judge thing needs to get some traction. It has to, because yesterday it, it was just too bad. It's just too egregious. To And here's the worst part. I think half the reason those guys are making those decisions, he's simply looking at the body language of the people involved, Right? Because you've seen it. Players who carp the loudest. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, there was a play that went against Tampa Bay. He saw the flag and immediately started pointing to, to, to his face mask. Like, oh, you called that, right? Like, you called the fact that he touched my face. I bet you he gets more. Fl- he does this. Like, this behavior is learned. Because they know if they carp to the officials enough, eventually officials cave. They're human. Right? In that way, these guys are walking around going, who do I want to get chewed out by? Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. Or Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. Who's actually getting in my face about this? Human nature, Brady. Is, human nature is to take the path of least, least resistance in most things. I, I know. It's how I get my job done. It's how I've gotten my job done for years. And I do it damn well. <laughs> you just break people psychologically. In that way, some of the NFL's best coaches are really good at that aspect of this. And it's why they get a lot of deference. I don't think it has... You can you can make the case that they're trying to rig the Super Bowl or they want a certain outcome. And you know what? I can't fight you on that. But I think it it's like when when people talk about 9-11 being an inside job and you hear the quote where it's like, have you ever worked on Have you ever tried to keep a secret between five people? <laughs> what, if there's, what if you're trying to keep a secret between 500 people? Good luck. 
There's 124 officials. You don't think one of those guys is going to talk? Be like, oh, yeah, kind of we were told by the league to prop up. up. No. Yeah. I think the reason that we're always on the receiving end of this, we've got a milk toast head coach. We've got one star player on our roster. We've got a wide receiver that they don't regard as a star because he plays on a team that's in a small market in the middle of nowhere. And they never have to visit here. So they, they're not worried about it. And it explains some of the wild stats that people have dug up on this front for the Bills. We have one defensive holding call by an opposing defensive back in over 500 pass attempts for the Bills this season. One defensive holding. Just six coverage penalties all season, but Tampa Bay got three in this game alone. (laughs) How fucking crazy is that? It's insane. And in an era where roughing the passer flags and flying around with abandon, Allen has only received two to his credit, despite the number of times he's constantly getting hammered. Between his own fault, our shitty offensive line play. I mean, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Either way, we gotta live with it. And that's the rub. None of this matters. That's why I'm sitting here drinking two beers. None of it matters. Get mad about the officiating. Be frustrated. But you don't get to cry to me about penalties when you score three points in a single half of football. That kind of stuff is the epitome of what Sean Connery was talking about in the movie The Rock. Right? He's talking to Nicolas Cage. And he goes, well, I tried my best. Your best? (laughs) Your best? Only losers cry about their best. Winners, they go home with the prom queen. That's it. Losers talk about how the refs took a game away from you that ultimately went to overtime. You went to overtime, but the refs took that away from you? After you scored three points in a single half of football? I don't know. I I just... <sighs> Losers talk about that. Winners find a way to assert themselves, even, even in the face of that adversity. But we were that team once. I don't know if you all remember, but back on a Sunday night in Kansas City, that honestly feels so long ago that I can't actually remember if it really happened or not. Like I feel, it's it's like a dream that you wake up from and you so badly want to get back to it and you want to remember what that felt like. You can't. You can only kind of remember the rough outline of what it was and what it felt like, but it felt real. You but you just can't get back to the parts of it that you enjoyed so much back there in the moment. That's what the Kansas City game is to me. But in that game, weren't we getting flagged to death by Carl Sheffers and his crew? And yet the Buffalo Bills found a way to overcome. In every single instance, they said, look, we're, we're going to keep driving. We're going to keep making plays. We're going to be aggressive. There's no one to blame for that but the players in the field and coaches on the sideline. They came out flat and paid the price for it, despite the Herculean effort by their quarterback. So, while I understand officiating is broken, do not cry to me about that in, in the aftermath of this football game. Am I, be, am I being... Chris, am I being heavy-handed? No, you're just being you. That's how you always are. The, the theme of this game is missed execution and opportunity. We all know that Bill's second half went really, really well for us. But early, nothing worked. Chris, as, as you, you and Ricky would say, the, you know, the, <laughs> it's not rocket appliances. Yeah, did not take rocket appliances to figure out that we had nothing going for us in the first half. Let me lay this out for you. 
So you get an early three and up from Tom Brady because his center, after taking a week off, is a little jumpy. He's got a bad ankle. He knows Ed Oliver's been playing really well. He puts a snap so far wide of Brady that I thought it looked a lot like the one that got away from Peyton Manning at the start of that Super Bowl against the Seahawks a few years ago. And yet you forced the punt. You did the thing. You kicked off to them. They got the ball first. You forced a punt on their first possession. That's a win, correct? Yeah. Okay. And then you yourself punt after a glaring series where a DB comes in unchecked. I mean, I credit where credit's due. Josh Allen never saw that guy. And a sack where your rookie right tackle does not even get a hand on Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett comes through. <laughs> Spencer Brown might not have even. He might as well have not even moved after the snap. That's how little he impeded this guy. On the next series, the Bills give up a 47-yard touchdown run, and you can just feel the energy come out of our defense. They get the ball back, and on that play, the Bucks run a, just a painfully classic stunt. This is the type of thing that I remember being taught as a little kid playing peewee football. This is what a stunt is. You know? I mean, they don't teach it to you when you're in third grade or fourth grade, but by the time you're... And in your early teens, you should understand what a stunt looks like and know like, hey, okay, this guy cuts his shoulder away from me. This guy's going to wrap around his back. I can't, I can't over pursue my first, my first look because I know that that guy's coming because he engaged the guy who to my right, I should probably be ready to take on whoever's going to come in the middle. It, I don't know. It literally just yards per pass on Twitter has a, a collection of gifts just breaking down some of the really simple things that their front seven did that just ate our offensive line alive. But on this play, I mean, no window dressing, nothing extra, and it fools our offensive line, and Allen gets sacked again. On the ensuing series, Brady leads the Bucks on a long field goal drive. Now you're down ten nothing. The next series, we finally get a, bit, a little bit of life out of the passing attack, and we get on the board because we stall in the we stall in the red zone on the three yard line after two failed runs by Allen and one of those lone bad plays of the game from Josh, where he just misses a throw. He just misses a throw to Gabe Davis. He he had him and he missed it, and you could see it on his face. <sighs> on the ensuing series, a two timely to seem correct penalty. Saves the Bucks on third down, extends the drive, they they score another touchdown. The Bills are now quickly falling behind. It's 17-3. The Bucks are blitzing nonstop at this point. This drive, you get an A-gap blitz from Devin White, where he comes in untouched, rides our quarterback like a goddamn horse for three yards, and then Allen finally goes down. The drive stalls after that seven-yard loss. The ensuing series ends with Tom Brady's vintage one-yard touchdown run. It's all Buccaneers at this point. With the ball before half and a chance to score before halftime and double dip afterwards, Allen has immediate pressure in his face and throws a bad pass to a check down. You know, he's trying to get Dawson Knox, and Richard Sherman picks him off. Chris, what's the when you think about what these drives all have in common... What's the most consistent theme here? That the Buccaneers had? Well, I just mean in general. When you think about every one of the sequences I just laid out for you, what's the common thread? There's pressure in Allen's face all of the time, 
And sometimes it's it doesn't even take that much effort to create it. It's wild to me. I mean, people just all over our quarterback, who's, as we saw in the second half, like the second half is a testament to how hard he was playing from the from the gun. But everyone around him was failing at such a rate that there was no way to save this. I mean, after the loss to Jacksonville, McDermott said this is the offensive line. We gotta fix some things. Let's just start there. We've gotta fix some things and take a hard look at the film. You know, you gotta win up front in order to play well offensively and defensively. And after the Colts game, Deion Dawkins came out and talked about how hard he and the other offensive linemen were working to try and right the ship and try to do a better job protecting the quarterback. And getting, let's get the run game going. You know, we, we, we know, we know we're gonna work. We're gonna get it together. Ahead of the Saints game the following week, Matt Perino made a note, Syracuse.com article, that even against five-man boxes, the Bills struggled to run the football effectively, and that Dable was going to have to figure it out. Dable's got to figure this out. And at the same time, Dable reiterated this same, nope, we got the guys, we've got good coaches, we're going to figure it out. Last week in our keys to victory, we talked about dragging the Bucks' defense into deep water because they weren't good. They proved my logic to be pretty sound because in that second half, they stopped blitzing and tried to play coverage. And because they knew the Bills were going to throw and they said, okay, let's see if we can bait them into another turnover. Let's just cover because we have them down by so much. And we kicked them right in the fucking teeth. 175 yards of passing and two touchdowns for Allen through the air. Five different completions of more than 10 yards downfield. They had Tampa Bay had one on offense in the second half. 127 rushing yards, 66 of which came from our quarterback, who at that point is just a man possessed. I'm going to win this goddamn football game. It was an incredible display of what our our team's playbook can be, what our play caller can be, what our franchise quarterback. That's right. That game, he he's anointed as the franchise quarterback. Could have been for four quarters if our offensive line could ever just sort its shit out. And the sad reality is that we all, to a fan, have to come to grips with this idea. That's not going to happen here in 2021. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the Internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash Rockpile to save $10 on your first order of Bill's Tickets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know that sounds like a, th- a crazy thing to say, Chris, but the coaches and players have had too much time, too many meetings, too many film sessions, and too much time spent spewing platitudes, weak affirmations, and it, it sometimes just outright blame behind microphones. If this thing was going to get fixed, it would have happened by now. They simply don't have the ability to do so here in 2021. And we can blame a lot of different things. The reality is there's two people who are going to face most of the music for this. Uh, the first one is going to be Bobby Johnson, right? He has to be sacrificed this offseason. Now, when you hear that, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to assume I mean fired. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, like I said on Twitter, I I don't think firing is enough to get the stink of what's occurred here on our offensive line off this team. I'm picturing Bobby Johnson leaving our team in what's more of like a Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom type situation. You know, right there in the parking lot of Ralph Wilson Stadium. Chris, please tell me you know the scene that I'm talking about. Yeah, who has not seen Indiana Jones? You haven't seen any movies, ever. I've seen a lot of good movies. What I know is that I'll show up and tailgate it if you want to do it. If you want to put some guy in a ram headdress and pull his beating heart out of his chest and then it sets on fire and you lower him into a pit of lava, I will show up, me and Iman from Q42, we will show up and serve refreshments. We will tailgate that mother for anybody who wants to come watch. Chris, he's had two years. Two years to fix this offensive line, and under his tutelage, they've regressed. That's inexcusable. And our younger and our less experienced players, I mean, Mongo was brought in here as a backup that we decided to try to turn into a starter. Ford was a rookie. Bacher was a UDFA who is just kind of like, hey, maybe he's a guy we can grow into a, a meaningful role. They've all failed to develop to the level that we need them to if you were going to rely on them to be a part of your starting five. That's those are facts. You can't you can't debate me on that. But also, it's not his fault that he's trying to mold these ridiculous lumps of clay. If he's not a good teacher, that falls on Brandon Bean. What Bean did this offseason with this offensive line? Well, at the time, we applauded him for being frugal. Chris, we thought he got a steal with Darrell Williams, didn't we? Yeah, and he's just Mongo. We were like, oh great, we get both of them back. This is this is the best. In actuality, what he did, in actuality, it's the equivalent of having a 1971 Hemi Barracuda sitting in your driveway and deciding to keep bald tires on it and refusing to park it in the garage in the rain. That's what you did to our quarterback. We have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL on our roster from a talent and a willpower perspective. And we actively chose to cheap out on the guys that we put in front of him. The guys who are supposed to be the backbone of how he executes his job. They're all failing. Statistically, almost every player on our offensive line has regressed from last season. And Ford can't even get on the field. 
And he's not the only one, as we're going to get to in a minute. But between Bean and Bobby Johnson, they've created something that absolutely has the ability to doom what was supposed to be a season of growth and transcendence for this football team. And if there's no accountability for that, or at least a correction, or a recognition of error, then I don't know what to say. I don't know how lost this franchise is if they can't realize that they made a gross error on this offensive line just based on the way this game came crashing down around them over the first 30 minutes of football. Because, Chris, everything that happened after that was great. Everything that happened after that is what this team could be. They allowed their poor decision-making in the offseason to pollute what could be a great season now. That was a That was just a microchasm of what's gone on here. And I can't take it. <laughs> I, I just don't know what to say. This game illustrated that our offensive line is an absolute liability. They're just not contending caliber. And if it wasn't for the fact that we have the quarterback that we do, this offensive line, I doubt most of these guys. Chris, is Feliciano on a starting lineup for the Chiefs? No. Is he starting for Tampa Bay? No. Green Bay? Maybe, Maybe, depending on the injuries they have and what they have. Because yep. their offensive line always runs a little lean, which also is why they don't win in the postseason a ton. We've built a room full of guys that are supposed to prop up our quarterback who can barely prop themselves up. That's the, that's the reality of what we have here. There needs to be a correction on that front or else games like this will continue happening. And Josh Allen will continue to crash himself into the rocks trying to get us to <laughs> to the safe harbor of victory. That's the reason he's our hero of the week, Chris. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Chris, how many other quarterbacks playing in the NFL would you trust to make the comeback that the Bills did in the second half of that football game? Tom Brady. To push a first ballot Hall of Famer to the brink that's been dominating you for a full 30 minutes of football the way he did, almost single-handed, like almost single-handedly. We as fans of this football team have been let down a lot over the course of our lives. It's gotten to the point where over until the last few years, I really didn't know if we were ever going to be relevant again. And while this team obviously has its warts, we got one thing right. And it was that we secured the most dynamic talent at quarterback. Chris, I... Now that we signed him to this deal, when does that deal kick in? After next season? I believe so. Yeah, Yeah, what you don't want to have happen right now with Josh Allen is a Jack Eichel situation. I don't think it will, though, because I watched that game. And I, I, Chris, I sat, I've watched decades of this. So like, I'm, I'm, it's, it's hilarious. Cause, and the reason I laugh about it is because I was the guy naked screaming on a balcony in Jamaica about the fact that he was a part of our franchise. He is the franchise. Well, I don't know if you, I'll ever, if I'm ever going to hear you prop up a Bills quarterback after a loss. Yeah, because you've never done. Usually, it's 
They're the problem. They threw one incompletion. They should be fired into the sun. Get them away from my football team because they made one mistake. We don't have a game on Sunday if it wasn't for Josh Allen. And not just... Chris, how many quarterbacks in the NFL would you put into that spot in that moment, down 24-3 to at halftime, would you put into that spot and say, I think I can still win this football game? Less than five. Who are the five? Name them. Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, um, maybe Justin Herbert. Okay, here's where, here's where you're wrong. Brady, Mahomes, Rodgers. They lose football games. They lose bad games. They've both lost this season by multiple touchdowns. They've lost games where they're down by... Packers week one against the Saints. Multiple scores. They don't respond with the reckless abandon that our quarterback does. Do you want to know why? Because he fucking cares. (laughs) He cares. He cares about winning so much that he's willing to break himself if that's what it takes to get the job done. I would take him before Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady would probably play so well the first half that it wouldn't matter. Or he would have pulled an eichel and gotten the hell away. Chris, how do you think the divorce in New England happened? He's not happy because of the direction of the team, and he doesn't want to waste his what might be his last few years of football playing on a terrible team if he's not the highest-paid player in the league. He found a team that was willing to let him do it. Belichick had been trying to move on for a while because of that dynamic. Aaron Rodgers. What? When things go south, they go south. Maybe he can bring them back, but when he can't, he just accepts it and says, listen, I'll live to fight another day. For Josh Allen, he plays as if there is no tomorrow because he might be the only person on this roster who understands that there really isn't, that every single one of these wins is important. All of the quarterbacks you just rattled off would absolutely just say, okay, fine, today's not my day. Today's not my day, we're going to pack it in. We have the guy who says, no, 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 no. Like Atlas, I'm going to try to pick this thing up and put it on my shoulders, and I think I can will us there. And he almost fucking did it. He almost did it. That's insanity to me. It makes me a little misty-eyed when I think about all of the times that I derided this guy. Because he's grown into one of the NFL's, just from a physical standpoint, he's one of the most impressive quarterbacks in the NFL. But it's that... Chris, I once stood on a skiff out in the middle of the Caribbean Ocean as we were coming back from swimming with whale sharks on a vacation to Mexico, and we got caught in a storm, and it started to hail, and there's hail, just, I mean, there's a tiny little roof on this thing, and everyone's trying to huddle underneath it, and they had one tarp, and I, I stood outside that thing, and I held the tarp up so that nobody else would get pelted with rocks. And I got just demolished standing out there, holding this thing against the boat for almost 25 minutes. And that was tough. It was suffering, but it was suffering for a reason. You know, you have an end goal in sight, and you just say, look, I think I can pull this off, and it's going to suck, and I'm going to do it anyway. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. (laughs) Anything. But guess what? Sometimes you just have to do it. 
I see what Josh Allen did on Sunday, and it's it's inspiring to me because I say, you know what, this is the, this is this. It's the same mindset. It's like he's like, look, yeah, I'm hurting. Yeah, this sucks. But guess what? There's something that needs to get done, and I don't. I think I'm the only person here who can do it. Yeah, there was multiple guys on that boat who could have volunteered to help me. They didn't, and it didn't matter. <laughs> it just didn't matter because someone had to. Somebody had to step up and rise to the occasion. Josh Allen is that guy every Sunday. And he'll die on his shield. Like That's the thing. He'll come back on his shield if he has to. I have nothing but respect for that. And it's something that we've been missing on this football team for my entire adult life. Maybe even before that. Maybe even going back to, like I said, that dread I felt in my stomach watching Jim Kelly get carted off in 96 when he took that hit. And I was just like, I think we just watched him play his last snap. This is the most sure of anything I've ever felt, is that having Josh Allen on our our team means that we have a guy who has the talent to put us into the win column, and he's going to break himself in the process of trying every single week, no matter what. That's that's some inspiring shit right there. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I know who our zero of the week is, though. It's the guy who's holding him back. Fucking embarrassing! Fucking embarrassing! Do that again. It's the guy who's holding him back, head coach, Sean McDermott. Fucking embarrassing! Sean McDermott, as I've started to refer to him as football's Kaiser Soze, a reference that I can, Chris, probably gander, you don't understand. Kaiser Soze sounds like a Fortune 500 medical company. (laughs) Ten months and 19 days ago, McDermott took the podium after a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC title game and told us all, but we kind of already knew, that they didn't make great decisions and they weren't aggressive. He claimed it was going to be different, that this team would learn from that experience that it would change the way he approached the game and the way he would approach running this football team. It's all well and good when you were rolling to a 5-2 and two start again. But then as the losses start to pile up and the embarrassing lack of execution continues, you see the same things start to creep back into this. Just gutless decision-making. Okay, That's the first one. Uh, the decision on fourth and three to punt from midfield is just enraging to me. Infuriating. You're making a comeback. You're in the game. Instead of trying to steal a first down from a tired defense that's jumpy because all of a sudden you've found life, McDermott could not get that punt unit on the field fast enough. You couldn't even pretend to be an aggressive head coach who actually believed all these things you've been saying to us. He was so quick to refer to his defense, just defer to his defense. Which in this game, Chris, what, what reason did the defense give him to defer to them stopping Tom Brady? I have no, I have no idea. They, In his post game, he defended not going for it on fourth and goal, or for the two point conversions by saying the following things. And I quote: "Well, if we don't get points here, we're down ten nothing, and I didn't like the way that could have gone. Well, I felt punting it back there would give us the best chance to win late, and you know we had gotten a couple stops there, and you know unfortunately we just came up short." 
when asked about, so a reporter pushed back and said, listen, you, you, you do realize that the guy who just scored 24 points and a half and you're giving him another opportunity. He said, yeah, you take that into account when you make those decisions. But I felt like we had made some good adjustments. Except it didn't work. And they scored on that drive. <laughs> they scored on that drive, Sean. You're still not coaching to win. You're coaching not to lose. I have zero respect for this from someone who literally just spent an offseason saying you learned something from the last time that happened to you against a football team loaded with star players. Also, there's this deference to ideology that I can't get past. If Bean had a problem with deference to players, McDermott can't get past his own thoughts. I mean, Chris, I think if you... When it comes to what McDermott thinks is a smart idea, and there's in a lot of ways... It's a lot like what Ricky Bobby said. With all due respect, and remember, I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it off. This concept that nickel defense is somehow the be-all and end-all against teams who have proven they can rush the ball with authority is mind-blowing to me. I don't hate Teron Johnson, but if what you're telling me is that your opponent's going to run effectively out of three wide receiver sets and just rip off chunk yardage against you in the process, I'm going to tell you that maybe you need a bigger, more physical, and less likely to be blocked out of a play individual than Teron Johnson. Instead, he played 88% of the snaps against Indy, where we got run over, 100% of the snaps against Tampa, and at this point, he's unlikely to come off the field no matter how badly he plays. Or at least how badly his presence plays directly into the opponent's hands. Maybe that works if your middle linebacker's playing like Luke Keekly. But that's not the case. I mean, Chris, there was a legitimate debate in my house over whether or not Tremaine Edmonds or Ed Oliver should get extended. And to be honest, I don't know where I fall on that. And Tremaine Edmonds has a long way to go in terms of age, in terms of experience, the way he's, he can grow. But when you go back and look at some of the most critical moments in this game, he just failed to execute. He was behind. Like, if this is going to be the guy who is the middle linebacker of your team, who lets you do these things and play nickel defense, and he's got to play with something between the ears. And that's the reason he wasn't drafted higher than Roquan Smith. It's the reason that Leighton Vander Esch probably would have still been, if we didn't trade up for him, probably still would have been taken before Tremaine Edmonds. It's the reason that he was told, everybody, every draft prognosticator said he would make a better outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense than he would have a stand-up off-the-ball linebacker because his processing and just his decision-making are not quick enough. Meanwhile, you've got Ed Oliver, who's, he's come on. He's, he's growing into the role that you drafted him to play. Chris, I, what do you say to that? I don't know. I like how Ed Oliver's been playing this year, just from somebody that doesn't know a whole bunch of X's and O's, just the eye test. The eye test says that Ed Oliver's been playing a lot better this year than he did last year. My only question would be is if how much of it has to do with playing next to Star? <laughs> well, I don't know. But Star hasn't been that good this year. You put him next to a legitimate one tech. A legitimate eater of human beings. A Holote Nada style player. Who knows how good that guy could be? We'll never know. We'll never know. But again, this just underscores the last point. The lack of execution. It's everywhere and everything for this Bills team. When things didn't go well, your star wide receiver, for all the, oh, he got held and this and that. 
How many times was Stefan Diggs not on the same page as Josh Allen? Josh Allen, he he's one-on-one down the field with a cornerback who doesn't have any physical contact with him, and Diggs just doesn't get his head around to look for the ball. He runs away from it instead of towards it. Like That can't happen. The offensive line, we already beat that horse. They sucked. Your highly drafted team captain middle linebacker being out of position and just not executing over and over again all day long. He was an Addison. They can create pressure. Great. Wonderful. But that doesn't mean much when the pressure just results in the opposing quarterback running for 12 yards for a first down. Jerry Hughes, Mario Edison, they don't execute. They're there. Sure, they get pressure. But what's pressure worth if you can't actually do anything with it? I want to take all the clapping, all the simplistic postgame answers, and all this talk about being proud. And I just want to fire it all into the sun. There's a quote from Remember the Titans that attitude reflects leadership. This team struggles to execute under pressure from the top down. From the play on the field, to the game plans that get created, to the coaching. Just all of this flows from one place. The guy with the headset who shrivels under pressure faster than George Costanza getting out of the pool. Here we've been talking about this entire time, Chris. For the last month and a half, we've been sitting on this podcast trying to figure out who to blame. Who's at fault for this? Is it is it the offensive coordinator? Is it the offensive line? Is it the offensive line coach? Are the wide receivers just not getting enough separation? I mean, we've literally been here like Special Agent David Kuyan, and in reality, we've all been Kaiser Sozade because it starts at the top, and it's Sean McDermott's fault. And there isn't a goddamn thing anything any one of us can do about it. Sean McDermott built this team, and they follow his lead. It's on you. Chris, how many other great, truly great coaches deal with this lack of execution week in and week out on a routine basis? I don't know. Maybe Stefanski in Cleveland. Is he great, though? What, he's had, he had one good year? That goes a long way in Cleveland. In Cleveland, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's Ohio. If, we, if I was a multi-billionaire... I'd, I'd evacuate the state and just sink it. I'd make it a sinkhole. It'd be the next, it'd be the, I would artificially create the next Grand Canyon right there in Ohio. No, I, I just, I look at Sean McDermott after this game and I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. So Chris, with that, I just, I'm too tired. Like I said, I was just emotionally drained. This is usually where I would, I'd be really petty and I'd go through and I'd find a bunch of people to make fun of, like, you know, uh, Urban Meyer. <laughs> just, I would find people that we could poke fun at, but none of it matters now. It doesn't. Your final thoughts of the game as we close this show. I would have loved to have a first half of the performance in the second half. Might have been able to pull that one out. I still don't. Like, over all thoughts, the way the rest of the conference has played out, still nobody that's head and shoulders above anybody else. There's still a chance to get in the playoffs. I don't... It's very uh, disconcerting right now, the way that we've been coached on offense. You know, just eye test for me. I remember back in the summer, I was told... Oh, we're we're gonna we're gonna run the ball successfully this year, and then uh, you bring back the same starting five, and then you added 
Matt Breda to the running backs room? How am I, how am I who doesn't know X's and O's, supposed to believe that you're going to be able to run the ball now? You brought back the same starting five. You didn't change the the, the scheme. And, and now you, added have, one, you added one running back. And now teams know what you do. They They have the book on you now. So it's going to be even harder. I'm at something of a loss with this football team. My hope is that by the time we get around to recording our AFC's Roundup podcast, where I've kind of made a point of using the Bills segment now to look at playoff percentages, games that week that might have an interest, you know, especially laying out our, essentially laying out our, lo- our rooting interests ahead of the weekend's games. I hope by the time we record that, that I can bring myself to give a single shit about that conversation. Because in the wake of this one, it's really hard to find optimism that these players keep talking about. I understand the desire to find moral victories, but the reality here is that I, I, for me, there isn't one. The people who want to see a silver lining are welcome to it, and I won't try to stop you. But what I see is that we finally have this shining beacon of hope in what is the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. And we're pissing it away with poor execution, poor coaching, poor roster construction, all of it. All of it is bad, and there's nothing you can do to change it until March of 2022. It's literally going to be from here on out on Josh Allen's shoulders to just bear the weight of this entire franchise. I'm terrified as to what that might bring with it for the next month and a half. But there isn't another solution. And so with that, I'm going to open up what is a it's a secret broadcast, double dry hopped IPA from Warhorse Brewing. We're going from guns to missiles here, Chris. It's getting deep. Well, it's delicious. That it is, it's piney, but it's not as heavy as a. Oh God! And it's got Teddy Roosevelt on the can. <laughs> I like it. It's secret broadcast. That's what we're doing right now. Secret broadcast. Yeah, secret broadcast. Since no one's fucking listening, because they're all just wallowing in their own sorrow about the Buffalo Bills. <sighs> At the end of the day, it's going to be okay. We hold our fate in our own hands, even if our balls are just a single inch away from the bandsaw. This team has to either prove they're able to find these things or fail. Like, that's it. The rubber meets the road now. And this has been a year of football that has really reinvigorated me as a fan because it's having that year that was taken away from me. That year of not being in the stands, that year of not, it really did rob me of something. Like I lost, even though the Bills were the best they've been in forever, it stole something from me. And I feel better about it now. I feel more, like I said, I almost, Chris, I almost got misty eyed talking about Josh Allen because it, it seems real again now that I'm able to go there and see it in person. At halftime of the comeback, the Bills were a little bit of everything we've just described here in this podcast, weren't they? Yeah. And Marv Levy at halftime said the following in the locker room. You've got 30 more minutes. Maybe it's the last 30 minutes of your season. Maybe the last, for some of you, maybe the last 30 minutes of your career. When it's over, you're going to have to live with yourselves. This is where we are now. We're out of time. We're out of excuses. Wherever the chips fall, failures or successes, these coaches and players are going to have to live with that outcome. 
They claim that this loss pulled the guys together. Let's well, good because the time for talking about the shit is over. Three home games left. Three wins that you absolutely must have. And they won't have to do it alone. We'll be out there. Me, Yulberg, Mark, Potter, Dan, Hugo. We've got people flying in from all over the country and all over the world to watch this last stretch of games with us. And I'm sure we're not alone. This is it. This is the Alamo. We're going to give them every bit of energy and emotion we have left. But this Bills team needs to go out there and show us that they're not ready to be defined by their shortcomings this season. At least not yet. I can't wait to see if they're actually up to that task. And even if they're not, I have an idea that Josh Allen will kill himself in the process of trying to figure it out. And if that doesn't get you up, I don't know what else can. Guys, thank you for showing up for tonight's podcast. Remember, December 21st, our festive celebration, Joe Miller from the Overtime Podcast, what was it, the Overreaction Podcast, and Time to Shine, Buffalo Rumblings. He's going to be here in studio with us as we celebrate our annual festivist airing of Bill's grievances. I want you to tweet us at Rockpile Report, email us, rockpileReport716 at gmail.com. Let us know your grievances. For the Buffalo Bills 2021 season. We're going to read them on air. The best, we're going to be giving away a free barbecue goodies from Q42. We're going to be giving away free pizza from Wise Guys Pizzeria. Chris, where else would you rather be than right here on Festivus Night? Nowhere else. <laughs> Guys, thanks for showing up, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.